now, say now. You're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, at the Momentum Studios. And today, we have a very special guest that will be joining us here shortly on the podcast. It's episode 150, so it was only right that we brought Dave Zirin of The Nation magazine. He also hosts The Edge of Sports podcast. He hosts The Collision, which is a radio show. And he came to talk about his newly published book, The Kaepernick Effect, that was just recently released. So we'll talk all things The Kaepernick Effect. We'll obviously talk some NBA. Um, We'll talk some John Gruden, of course. Uh, I'm sure you guys got enough of hearing about John Gruden after last week's episode, but who cares? When you bring Dave Zirin on, you don't just allow that to go by. And to be fair, it wasn't just about John Gruden. We also did get a little bit more in-depth in regards to the Washington football team and that investigation, especially being that Dave is located in Washington, D.C. So obviously he has a little bit more insight in that regard. So really good interview coming up with Dave Zirin here. Had to bring him on. He's an absolute force when it comes to the nexus and the intersection of sports and politics. So not many people better to have for episode 150 than Dave Zirin. So that's coming up shortly. But before we transition into that interview, a few quick announcements that I want to make this weekend. And this is a newly developed announcement. This was not booked as of last week when we recorded this episode. I will be DJing in Atlanta, Georgia at the A3C Fest. For those of you that don't know what the A3C Fest is, it's a music, tech, and culture, almost like a conference that'll be taking place. It's actually starting tomorrow starting today actually they're doing kind of the the pregame to the conference tonight out in Atlanta Georgia as I'm recording this here on the 21st which is a Thursday um but yeah I will be at the A3C Fest I'll be DJing for Simba um some of you may remember Simba from the interview that we did with him last year he is a dynamite artist he can rap his head off he had a very viral LA Leakers freestyle that that ended up reaching the likes of LeBron James. LeBron reposted it, endorsed it. It went super viral. He then ended up going forward to be on the Space Jam 2 soundtrack. He's got a, rec- a record with John Legend and Chance the Rapper on there. So he's doing pretty well for himself right now. Signed to Atlanta Records and he is allowing me the privilege to be able to DJ for him in Atlanta this weekend. So definitely excited to be able to go to Atlanta and uh, DJ for folks that have like interests, music, culture, tech. I mean, uh, it works out for me. So looking forward to that. That'll be October 24th. Our set is at about 8 p.m. So we got an 8 p.m. set this Sunday night in Atlanta. If I got any of my Atlanta listeners that would like to pull up, holler at me. I'll be out there this weekend. Also, we still got the Brian Hooks PD Experience coming up on October 29th. That will be at the Jack London Review here in Portland, Oregon. Brian Hooks, another guest that's been on this podcast before. Um, He is just an absolute legend, especially when it comes to the role he played in the Hood Classic Three Strikes. He was also in Soul Plane with the likes of Kevin Hart and some more, Snoop Dogg, so many other star-studded members that were a part of that Soul Plane cast. Um, He was a part of the Eve show. He was in the Parkers. He's been around. He's been around for quite some time, and he's been – 
touching city to city, actually, all over the country doing stand-up as of late. And so it was cool to be able to connect with him and, and assist him in, in being able to come out here and do a comedy show. So um, October 29th, that is a Friday at the Jack London Review. Then the day after that, October 30th, I'll be back on the call. You can hear me on the call for Pacific University. They'll be playing against Lewis and Clark University. It is a 1 p.m. kickoff, so goboxers.com, head to the football schedule, and once you see that game that is Lewis and Clark versus Pacific on the schedule, you'll be able to just hit the watch link right there, and you can tune in, watch some good football, listen to a good call, um, and I would greatly appreciate the support. Or if not, go pull up. Forest Grove, Oregon, Pacific University, 1 p.m. kickoff if you want to see some solid Division Three football. So um, definitely tune in if you can, and I am looking forward to what will be my second call, calling a collegiate football game. So excited to be doing that for Pacific this year. Grateful that they're allowing me to do so, and schedule will only get busier in November as basketball kicks off, college basketball to be particular kicks off. Um, I'll be calling the Portland State game, so make sure you subscribe to ESPN+. Plus. You also now can officially buy tickets and purchase tickets to the Portland State games this year as well. So that Viking Pavilion, when I tell you it is worth it, it is worth it. Just come out, enjoy the Viking Pavilion. It's a new facility, not even new facility, not even five years old. So it's a brand new facility. It is a great opportunity to bring your family and bring your folks out to the park blocks, watch some good Division I basketball here in downtown Portland on PSU's campus. And I'm telling you, it's a fun experience. Going and being able to attend those games is a really fun experience. Obviously, last year, many of us weren't able to do that. And so if you want to come to just a good venue, a good you know, watch some good, solid Division One basketball, I would definitely recommend PSU. Not just because I work there, but also because I work there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, subscribe to ESPN Plus if you want to watch those calls. Uh, I'll also be on the call for Pacific University's men's and women's basketball teams starting in November as well. So those announcements will come as we get closer to those dates of those scheduled games. But, uh, again, if you're in Atlanta, come see me this weekend. If you're here in Portland next weekend, Brian Hook's PD Experience. It'll be a good night of laughs and vibes. And again, I'll be DJing at that event as well. So the music, I can assure you, will be on point. I can't speak for the comics and what they're going to come up and do, even though I do know we got some pretty good, reputable local comics coming. And obviously, a headliner in Brian Hook's is, is hard to beat in this comedy space, but definitely excited th for that. But now... For episode 150, we bring Dave Zirin. Check it out. Now to introduce our guest who we are fortunate to have grace us on what is the 150th episode of this podcast. I mean, wow, what a journey. He is a sports editor of The Nation. He also hosts the Edge of Sports podcast. Um, he also hosts The Collision, which is a radio show that, that I frequent. We'll get into The Collision a little bit later on because I'm um, definitely an avid listener of that show. Um, he's the author of many books, such as The Last Man Standing, which is a biography of Jim Brown, A People's History of Sports in the United States. And his latest is The Kaepernick Effect, which we will discuss in detail here shortly. And he's just a longstanding force in regards to the covering of the nexus of sports and politics 
Dave Zyron, thanks for joining us for episode 150, man. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm honored. I, I was just coming on thinking it might be one, episode 147 or, <laughs> or I, I had no idea I was on such an auspicious episode. Thank you. Oh, yeah, no problem. We had to do it. I, I was hoping that I would be able to get you for this particular episode. It was uh, pretty calculated on my end because, again, obviously, you're such a powerhouse when it comes to this intersectional work of sports and politics. But um, I also know you just dropped a book, man. So you're probably just busy as ever right now. I know you're doing all types of press, making all kinds of appearances. And uh, I hope life is just as settled as it could be for you right now, being that I know you're putting in so much work after releasing this new book. Well, it's, it's honestly not so settled. Um, working hard, <laughs> trying to push as, as hard as possible on this. And I'll tell you why. It's not just because I believe in the book, The Kaepernick Effect, about you know, the stories of young people who took a knee during the anthem to protest racial inequity and police violence. It's not just because I really want to get their words out there, get their names out there. It's also because any proceeds I make for the, for the book are going to an organization called Serve Your City, which is a mm. mutual aid organization in D.C., because I really wanted to pay forward the courage of these young people. It didn't seem right for me to profit off of their courage. So anything I, so when you buy a book, you're not just supporting the movement, the struggle, these young people, but you're also supporting an organization that's really keeping people alive in Southeast DC right now. Absolutely, and that's, that's major, that's major. And, and I'm curious to know, like, what put the battery in your back to write this book? Um, obviously, you know, we know Colin Kaepernick was famous for taking a kneel during the national anthem. But for you, writing this book, what was it that just sort of pushed you to just go for it? Well, it started with a conversation I got in a couple of years ago with uh, 1968 Olympian John Carlos, who, of course, famously raised his fist on the medal stand in Mexico City. And, you know, I did John's memoir with him and we're, we're very close. And uh, John said to me in a very offhand way, you know, you realize a lot of young people raise their fist at track events, high school games, all kinds of young pe people did that after we did it. And that immediately made my head explode because like, I thought I was a real student of 1968 in that history. I had no idea tons of young people raised their fists. I wanted to know who these people were. I wanted to know how their coaches responded. I wanted to know how their families responded. I wanted the story of the youth and I couldn't get it because it's been over 50 years. How would I ever find those folks? But it did make me think about all of the kind of one-off stories, some of which I wrote about young people who had taken a knee after Colin Kaepernick. And I was like, you know what? We need a book that brings all these stories together, or at least as many as I can handle together. That's really representative of the struggle. So I went about getting in touch with these folks and calling them and I got very lucky by the fact that I started writing the book at the start of the pandemic. And so they were all home, bored, out of their minds, ready to pick up the phone, ready to talk. We got in some amazing conversations and I was telling their stories. And I was like, this is a great thing because I'm preventing these memories from getting forgotten. Absolutely. And then the summer of 2020 happens, the police murder of George Floyd. And you have the largest demonstrations in the history of the United States. So I went back and I called all the people I'd already interviewed. And it turns out they were in the streets themselves. They were organizing. They were trying to make a difference in that, in that critical moment. 
And that made me realize that while many roads may have led this country to the summer of 2020, one of them runs straight through the athletic fields of the United States. And I really wanted Absolutely. to tell that story. Absolutely. Were there any trends that you noticed in regards to the treatment of the folks that you interviewed? Um, obviously, when it came to Colin Kaepernick, we saw exclusionary practices and him not being able to get a job in the NFL again. We obviously saw discriminatory practices against him and folks blaming him for things such as low ratings in the NFL because mm -hmm. of the stance that he took, amongst so many other things. We obviously know um, the criticisms that Kaepernick took has taken over the years, even until present day. Did you notice any trends in terms of how some of these younger athletes or even professional athletes were treated that may not have gotten covered in their local newspaper or by mainstream media at large? Yeah, Colin was blamed for everything except turf toe. Exactly. And they would have blamed <laughs> that too if they could have. But I'll tell you, the main trend that I saw, and there was a trend, is that the, the attitude and approach of the coach was absolutely vital, particularly with young folks. Because in a lot, too many of the cases that I saw, the coach made the decision to stab the player in the back or sometimes stab him in the front. And be yeah. like, this person doesn't represent this team, sometimes kicking mm. them off the team. Sometimes they got kicked out of school. I mean, it is very intense what happened to some of these young folks that I talk about in the book. But there are other cases where the coach saw it as an opportunity for education and saw it as an opportunity to lift up the political knowledge of the entire team and got the team together and they talked about it and they took seriously that idea of a team being like a family. That wasn't just rhetoric to these coaches. And if one member of your family's upset, then everybody's got to deal with it. And those situations to me are so beautiful. And it reminded me of something a former Baltimore Colt named Joe Ehrman likes to say. He says there two, he does all these coaching seminars that I, I love yeah. watching and listening to. His name is Joe Ehrman. And Joe likes to say there are two kinds of coaches the transactional and the transformational. The mm. transactional coach is in it for what coaching gives them. And the transformational coach is in it for how they can develop the young people around them. And I saw it with, with or I should say, I heard it with my own ears in yeah. hearing all these stories from these young folks is that when they had a transactional coach, the coach was like, get away from us. You're, you're, you're somehow infecting the team. And when you had a transformational coach, they actually provided not just a place for the young person to express why they were taking a knee, but also, and this is more important, they provided shelter. They provided protection. They were willing to take some of the slings and arrows that were definitely going to come their way. And, you know, if you're a young person, you need that. And also yeah. anybody who played youth sports or high school sports know how y'all y'all know how important it is in terms of what the coach thinks about you. Absolutely. you know, that, opinion, that opinion is so much more than like your your biology teacher. You know? 100%. 100%. Yeah. And so what when the so there are some moments in the book where you're talking to these athletes, you know, young men, young women and you can hear their heartbreaking when they talk about their coach stabbing them in the back and throwing them off the team or ostracizing them or not playing them anymore. I mean, that's just brutal, brutal stories. 
But in the situations where the coach has their back, I mean, you hear the gratitude, you hear the joy. But I should say, even though some had difficult circumstances and some did not, I didn't talk to one person who regretted doing what they did. Not a mm. single person. They all believed that they were part of something bigger than themselves and it was worth doing. Interesting, Dave, because sort of sticking to the youth here, and you maybe even can think to your younger days, is you're somebody who is known in this industry as being one of the earlier folks when it comes to the coverage of sports and politics in particular from, from a coverage standpoint. And the courage that a lot of these young people are having to be able to take these stances of solidarity with Colin Kaepernick or even being able to go out and hit the streets, as you mentioned, that many of the folks that you interview, interviewed did in the summer of 2020. What does this mean for you, just being able to even maybe compare this to your younger days to see that the courage that so many young people have here present day, because it was a little bit different in terms of the ability to be able to express that maybe when you were growing up and obviously before that. Yeah, I mean, social media has been a game changer. The Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter movement has been a game changer. Uh, and the courage of athletes, you know, just giving them credit as individuals has been a game changer. And, you know, first of all, when, when I started coming up and you would have people like Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, uh, guard for the Denver Nuggets, trying to take his own kind of stand in the mid 90s and there being no support for him whatsoever. Right. There's no social media to support him. The media jumped all the regular media, the old media jumped all over him, largely older, largely white, largely conservative. And, you know, he found himself drummed out of the league. This is Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. He was Steph Curry before Steph Curry, if people don't know his game. Yeah. And to the idea that these young athletes are in it to protect not just themselves, but each other and their communities. There's so much more uh, kind of interlocking support among them and among each other. I mean, it's just so different. And if you want to take it to when I started sports writing, which was almost 20 years ago, there was nothing close to any of this. So yeah. I spent most of my time in my early days. I mean, it's a blessing. I got to meet and develop very close relationships with people like John Carlos. Uh, but the reason uh, the family of, of people like Joe Frazier and Muhammad yeah. Ali, like, like, like the, the reason why is precisely because there was so little in the present tense for me to write about. Mm. But I found myself looking to the past looking to before I was born, looking to the elders, looking to interview them. Yeah. And cause, cause in the present tense, there was so little, I once wrote a whole column about the tattoos on a mixed martial artist's back because he had a bunch of political tattoos. You know, that's what, yeah. and it was a fine you art, I guess. You had to reach though, to get those I was stories reaching. back in those days. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Hey, let's talk about those tattoos. I was yeah. <laughs> it was dry. I was a, a man in the desert with a tablespoon of water. Yeah. And it really just started changing dramatically in the sports world. I would argue when the Miami Heat led by LeBron and Dwayne Wade uh, took that photograph after George Zimmerman murdered Trayvon Martin right. um, of all of them wearing their hoodies. And that was really the first viral sports politics photo. And the fact that you had people of the stature of LeBron and D Wade uh, really bottom lining it. I mean, I don't think people even realized it at the time, but that was a game changer.
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm curious what you say to those that try to downplay the relevance of the stance that Colin Kaepernick took. Um, Obviously, you know, you could date back to a couple of years ago when Jay-Z attempted to do so when he made the comments about uh, being past the kneeling and taking a knee and, and trying to move forward from that. And obviously, just the further removed that we get away from Colin Kaepernick actually being able to play in the league, where I think Jay-Z received some criticism at that time because folks felt like Kaepernick still legitimately had a shot at playing in the league at that time. And you know just as well as anybody, playing in the NFL is a short-lived career. So the further away that we get from Colin Kaepernick actually having played a game, the more that, you know, we're not necessarily – pushing that narrative because we know that the likeliness of him coming back and playing another game in the NFL is probably slim to none. But with that, people try to attach the fact that maybe we're past that, like Jay-Z did essentially. Um, We're no longer talking about that. Could you just speak to the relevancy of Colin Kaepernick taking a knee today? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, when Jay-Z said we're past kneeling, he was saying two things. He was saying, one, stop protesting, and two, we're past Colin Kaepernick. Mm. So people should get past the idea of him coming back into the league. Now, I know a lot of people called Jay-Z a sellout for doing that, but I don't view him as a sellout because he's a billionaire. So he was acting like any billionaire would in that situation, not selling out, but acting in his class interests. And the interests of a billionaire are very different from the interests of, say, a Rodney Axon, who I interviewed in the book, a young man, high schooler from Brunswick, Ohio, fed up with police violence. I think people like Jay-Z and anybody who says that Colin Kaepernick has no relevance really don't understand what Colin Kaepernick brought to the table. It's not so much him as an individual or his football ability. It's like the title of my book, The Kaepernick Effect taking a knee, changing the world. What Colin Kaepernick gave was a language for a generation of athletes to be able to express their dissent about racial inequity and police violence. You just take a knee during that anthem and there is power in doing that. People are on their heels. One of the things that I I, I found out when I was interviewing folks is how interesting it was how many times when young people were like, hey, let's take a knee during the game school principals, coaches, administrators, if they got wind of it, freaked out. And not freaked out even so much because they opposed it, but what they opposed was repelling donors, boosters, parents. They were scared of the controversy of when that knee would hit the ground. So they, in some stories, they come up with things like, how about we just get you some Black Lives Matter t-shirts? Or how about we just get you some sashes that you can wear, some black sashes? Or how about you just link arms instead of kneel? Because they knew that as soon as that knee hit the ground, hell would break loose. And, you know, there's still athletes kneeling today. And some people say to me, hey, you know, kneeling, does it still hit the same way? Or has it been too appropriated? Because sometimes you see whole teams do it with the, you know, the thumbs up from management. And I always say, look, it's all about timing. It's all about setting. Like I get emails from folks since I wrote the book where they're taking a knee in a small town here or a small town there because of a racist incident at school. And you know, the power is still there in that gesture. The thing that you have to assess is the risk. 
because mm. risk is what gives protest true power. And when they're taking a risk, well, that's when the fireworks truly begin. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, have you been able to speak with Kaepernick at all in terms of obviously write the process of writing this book or maybe trying to send him this book to read? Because I mean, I'm sure that it would be inspirational for him to be able to read this book and, and see the effect that he's had on so many young individuals and not so young individuals, because sometimes when you're in the moment, it's hard to be able to assess your inspiration because you're active in doing the work or you're active in dealing with some of the criticisms he's had to deal with. And obviously in his case, he had a collusion case against that of the NFL as well. So just so many things going on in his own individual world. Have you tried to get this book over to him so he could just be made a little bit more aware of the impact he's had on so many people across the country? Well, I've talked to Colin several times over the years and, you know, got all his, uh, you know, info about how to get him stuff. So he definitely has the book. Uh, as far as, and I heard from his assistant that he loved the book. Okay. Now, Colin is, uh, I would have loved to have either interviewed him for the book, although I didn't really feel that pressed about interviewing him because I was like, it's almost better if I don't, because the book is about the effect, not, and I don't want too much attention on Colin as an individual. Right, and right. right now, Colin is, you know, he's, he's part of a big rollout right now. He's got this Ava DuVernay special on Netflix coming out about him. He's got book coming out, children's book coming out, all kinds of stuff. So his head is just in a different place. Um, I hope he's successful and I hope the work that he does helps the movement and helps the struggle. I don't know if it will or not. I mean, I don't know if there's an appetite for Colin Kaepernick in a way that's personality driven. You know what I'm saying? Like, is there a thirst for people to know about his biography? Is there a thirst yeah. for people to know about his history? Maybe there is. And if there is, I hope it pushes people to the, the kind of emulation that has to do with struggle and not genuflecting. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, we live in this celebrity culture and I feel like that culture sometimes makes us passive. Mm -hmm. So if we see something about Colin Kaepernick uh, being this, you know, remarkable individual, you know, we'll watch that and say, that's great. But this is why I honestly think my book is important because if we learn about Colin Kaepernick as someone who bequeathed a language to a generation yeah. of young athletes about how to struggle, that to me has to me more social weight and more power. Absolutely. Well, make sure listeners that you all go out and check Dave's book out. We still got more content here to cover, but in terms of the book, The Kaepernick Effect, listeners, make sure you go out and purchase it, buy it. It is very important for us to continue to hear, you know, voices of folks that we may not have heard from otherwise in terms of the solidarity stance that they took with Colin Kaepernick against that of police brutality. Now, Dave, to transition here just a little bit, um, not only do I have a deep appreciation for the intersection of sports and politics, but I got a bit of an appreciation for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, mm. I grew up in the Bay Area, so I've been a Raider fan all my life, obviously formerly known as the Oakland Raiders, and currently we're four and two. And you know what? I'm not mad about that. But with some good comes a little bit of bad. And we all know about the John Gruden emails that have surfaced 
um, and just the plethora of statements that he's made against just progress in general from his homophobic comments, his racist comments, his misogynistic comments, just the list sort of goes on. Um, I'm curious to just hear your general thoughts about what's going on with not only John Gruden, but also the Washington football team at large, especially being that you're located out in Washington, D.C., and just kind of what your thoughts are on where things stand with that entire situation. Well, I'm glad you asked the question that way, Devon, because everyone who calls this the John Gruden email scandal, I think, is doing Dan Snyder's work for them, for him. Dan Snyder, if people don't know, is the franchise owner of the Washington football team. This investigation, with its, its 650,000 emails, you know, 649,990 of which we have not seen, is an investigation about a culture of predatory sexism on the Washington football team. And we're talking very ugly stuff. People can go online and read about how cheerleaders were treated uh, in, in very criminal ways. And this is an internal NFL investigation being done by an independent attorney named Beth Wilkinson trying to find out what happened. Now, uh, let me tell you something. I smell a rat in terms of the emails that got leaked calling out John Gruden. It is possible to be repulsed by John Gruden, repulsed by what, he's, what he was saying, repulsed by his politics, repulsed repeatedly by his infantile, offensive comments, but also understand that I think it was an effort to put the focus on Gruden and the Las Vegas Raiders. Mark Davis, it's, who's the owner, franchise owner of the Raiders, is well known to be sort of like on the out group among NFL franchise owners. See, NFL franchise owners operate like a clique. It's very high school. Yeah. And you're yeah. either on the in group or the out group. Daniel Snyder is in the in group. Mark Davis is in the out group. And so these emails magically get leaked by, the, by these NFL investigators. Were they leaked by the NFL? Were they were leaked by somebody high up who was just individually very repulsed by John Gruden and, John Gruden and wanted to get the word out? I'm more inclined to think it was done to divert and deflect attention from the Washington football team. Um, this is a team where the fan base here, I can tell you this, wants Dan Snyder out of there in the worst way. They understand that the fish rots from the head. There are so many problems in this organization. What they did to address those problems yesterday involved releasing their kicker, Dustin Hopkins, and signing a kicker, I'm not joking around here, Devon, whose last name is Blewett. Oh, How God. can you have a kicker <laughs> whose last name is Blewett? I mean, why don't you just, why, what's his first name? Jinx? I mean, it's ridiculous. This yeah, team, that's pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah, this, this team's a walking joke. And uh, for people here who remember how proud this franchise was in the era before Dan Snyder, and we're going back 25 years, yeah, uh, they also understand that, you know, that in a situation like this, people are hoping that this is the catalyst to force him to sell the way Jerry Richardson was forced to sell the Carolina Panthers for his own behaviors. Yeah. So, we, so if there's a smoking gun in those 649,990 emails that implicates Dan Snyder more directly, we're saying we want to see them. 
And the cheerleaders who were affected are part now of a public campaign to release all the emails. And I can tell you the fan base here, very behind that conceptually yeah. because they want Snyder out. I believe that. I believe that. Is there any correlation to this situation with the Washington football team to that of Colin Kaepernick and the collusion case that he once had against the NFL? Do you see any correlation there? Obviously, with, with the in-depth coverage you've done on Kaepernick. And again, you being located in, in Washington, you know a bit more about the Washington football team than the average person. Well, yes. I mean, this is this investigation is is strictly just about the Washington football team. But clearly, Bruce Allen, the former president of the team, the person who John Gruden was largely emailing, he's very connected to people around the NFL. You know, his father was a Hall of Fame coach, George Allen. He used to head things at Tampa Bay. I mean, I mean, Bruce Allen is just a known commodity in the NFL. And so is it possible that there are emails between Bruce Allen and other team presidents calling Colin Kaepernick radioactive and saying there's no way he should be signed? I mean, it wouldn't make uh, the NFL liable because they already settled out of court with Kaepernick rather than have discovery and look at the, I mean, now we realize why they wrote Colin Kaepernick a big fat check and said, we're not going yeah. to court with this. Because if they had gone to court, Kaepernick would have had discovery and then access to emails like this. Yeah. And that doesn't, but, you know, I, I kind of wish he had because uh, this is a league that needs to be aired out and sunlight is truly the best disinfectant. And the only way to get out a franchise owners like Dan Snyder is with that sunlight. So people can see just how dirty the business is uh, below, below the surface. Um, I think that there's something there in these emails. And I think that what we might also see in these emails are conversations between Bruce Allen and others about Colin Kaepernick. I don't see how not. In the emails that we've already seen, John Gruden, who then was not an NFL employee, said you know, that Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed should both be drummed out of the league for taking a knee. Yeah. So if that's the casual comment by John Gruden when he was working for ESPN, what do we possibly think was being said GM to GM? Yeah, a whole lot, a whole lot. Transitioning to the NBA here, the season is underway. I know you're a big Washington Wizards fan, and we'll get into that. We will get into that. But I want to start you're, off you're with You're going to lose Kyrie. your entire audience, Devon. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll talk about it. I, I got some basketball fans that, that are interested to hear what you have to say. And plus – I tend to bring folks from, you know, different markets of America, NBA markets in particular, to talk about a little bit of everybody and what's going on in different organizations. We've had Sixers coverage on here, Phoenix. We've had all kind of coverage on here. So, you know, we got to include the Wizards. I mean, they are a part of the league. It may be hard to tell, but they are. It may be hard to tell, good. especially by Sixers coverage. They're right, right. But we can get to that. We can get we'll to get that. We'll get there. We'll get there. I want to start off with your thoughts on this Kyrie Irving situation, though, because obviously that's been a, a, a huge topic of conversation in the world of sports. Um, some of it just because he's Kyrie. He's a superstar in the NBA. And obviously we know the conversation that has been surrounding this vaccine at large uh, across the world, especially here in America, if I wanted to be more specific. And he just so happens to be in a market that has certain exemptions that would not allow him to play in home games. So he's affected more than maybe Bradley Bill, who I don't know if he's gotten vaccinated or not yet, but 
bill with somebody who recently hadn't been vaccinated, who's not under the same restrictions and exemptions that Kyrie Irving is being located in New York. What are your thoughts just about some of the reactions of people in terms of this whole Kyrie Irving situation and even him and his attempt to be the voice for the voiceless, as said in his own words? Well, yeah, when he called himself the voice of the voiceless, that really rankled me because that that expression was first applied to Mumia Abu-Jamal. And so you're going to compare yourself to somebody who's on death row and is life without parole because you're refusing a vaccine. It's like, that's a big come on, man, for me. Uh, The other tell on this is when you see people like Ted Cruz and Steve Bannon all supporting Kyrie. I mean, you know, I'm a big believer that like this vaccine is important for people to get because this is, it's not just like, I would say to Kyrie, it's not just about you. It's about your teammates. It's about, you know, the people who work in the front office. It's about secretaries who work there. It's about people who might have comorbidities that you don't even know. Like, I don't know if you saw that CNN anchor yesterday just said, it was very powerful. I don't even like CNN. And this guy, John King, he just said, yo, I just want to tell the world I have multiple sclerosis. And I'm just telling you because I want to thank every single person in this studio who got vaccinated, because if you didn't, I would be completely susceptible. I did not see that. Wow. It was powerful. It was powerful. And it it was a good reminder. And I don't, it's weird because it's like, people have asked me, do you blame Kyrie? Like trying to get me to insult the man. And I'm just like, look, Kyrie Irving, you know, is growing up in a society where there's a ton of very understandable mistrust of the government, particularly by black and brown folks, particularly in regards to issues of medicine and science and how that's been weaponized in a racist manner. So I get it. I get where it's coming from. I understand it. And I don't think we can guilt or shame people into taking the vaccination. But I do believe very strongly that he's in the wrong here. I just disagree with him. And I say that with respect. I feel like it's almost uh, patronizing to just be like, oh, he's speaking out, voice of the voiceless. I love athletes who speak out. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like that because I think the way you show respect for somebody's ideas is you argue with them if you need to. And this is a case where we all, like, we, there is no culture of community health or solidarity in this country. And to me, it's an act of solidarity to get the vaccine with all the people who have comorbidities, with all the people with young kids. It's an act of solidarity. And the way Kyrie is acting, I would argue, is I would describe it as the negation of solidarity. Yeah, 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 most definitely. Um, Going now back to that of the Washington Wizards, you put out some predictions recently and i won't get too deep into the predictions in terms of like individual awards and maybe who'll actually win the title but what actually stood out to me was you just laid out eight eastern conference teams and eight western conference teams in a thread which i'm assuming are the eight teams that you believe will make it to the nba playoffs this season correct that is correct and in the Eastern Conference, you had the Bucks, Nets, Hawks, Celtics, Bulls, Sixers, Knicks, and Wizards. Boom. I agree with you on seven of eight of those teams where I got to give you some pushback. I think that LaMelo Ball kid is going to figure something out over there with the Hornets, and that would then place the Washington Wizards outside of a top eight team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and then they'd be in that play-in. The playoffs. 
They'd be in the plan. They'd be in the plan. So can you live with that? Can I can live, live with, with the plan, but I'd, I would like to make my case if I could. Go for it. Yesterday, the Washington Wizards played the Toronto Raptors. First time you've had basketball in Toronto in 600 days. The crowd was beyond hype. Uh, the score at halftime was 57 to 37 Wizards. Now, how many times last year, I'm going to ask you a trivia question, did the Wizards hold an opponent under 40 points in a half? I'm going to go on a limb and say one. You are so close. The answer is zero. <laughs> so they've already done something this season that they didn't do last season. They also won their first home opener since, and I can't believe I'm saying this, 2017. It's been that wow. long since they've won a home opener. I mean, folks in Portland have been a tad spoiled by the Dame Lillard Blazers. Indeed. Uh, because you don't know what it's like to just have a team that's terrible year after year. But this team, I mean, this trade for for that we Russell Westbrook, I love Russell Westbrook. Let me be clear about this. Like Absolutely. he made the pan he made the pandemic bearable for me. You know, getting to watch him every night playing here in DC was was so cool. His yeah. intensity, every play, so cool to just watch him. He could be playing the, the the Cleveland Cavaliers on a Tuesday night, and for him that's game seven of the finals. I mean, right, it's just right. so cool to watch him play. Absolutely. Um, he wanted to go. And if you want to go, a go. Birds got to fly. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. He wanted to go. Absolutely. So all respect, he wanted to go to home to L.A. But what we got in return was like a king's ransom, I think it's going to be looked back on. See, Montrez Harrell is already a folk hero in D.C. after one game. People are all about Trez. It's all it took. Okay. One game. Just one game. Just one. All it took. Not a, not, not a playoff appearance. Just one game. One game. <laughs> of that level of effort. Kyle Kuzma had 15 yeah. rebounds last night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma. Playing with effort. I think we got a bunch of players who have a massive, ma Contavious Caldwell Pope, players who've got a massive chip on their shoulder. Yes, I agree there. We were given up on. And I so agree. many people have left this team dead, left for dead, forgotten, all this. And we're going to ether so many teams this year that think they know what's up because we've got so much skill on this squad and we run 10, 11, 12 deep. So we'll see what happens. We will. But I want you to have me back on the show when the Wizards make that top eight. 100% I will. And even if you're too busy, I'm sending the email. Oh. <laughs> even, even if it's just for two minutes for you to stick it to me, I'm okay with that. But if the Wizards make it to the playoffs, we got to have you back on the show. Even if it's for, like I said, just a quick couple minutes to, you know, get your shit off. Devon, I'll make the time. There will be. <laughs> oh, I love to hear it. I love to hear it. I, I know we only got a few more minutes with you, Dave, and, and I'm somebody who's been following your work for a while. Uh, I follow your Twitter as well, Edge of Sports. Y'all should go check him out if you're not following him. And part of the reason you should go follow him, follow him is because, Dave, you're notorious for, like, these top five lists of all types yeah. of different things. All, all types of different things. <laughs> yeah. I like my lists. What can I tell you? You like your list. You like your list. So, look, I have a segment on this podcast, and I call it the six-man segment because – I like lists too. I, I work in radio. So 
you gotta be a list guy when you're working in radio and you're trying to fill out three hours worth of content five days a week, especially in the summer when like sports, you know, at least American sports aren't as popular <laughs> during that time of the year. So I love list as well. But with this six man segment, I noticed a lot of the guests that I brought on and would ask them, who's your top five in this or who's your top five in that? They always struggled. They always struggled to give me five because there's somebody that they want to put in that list, but five slots just isn't enough. So I'll give you a top six with this six man segment. I want to know Dave Siren, Dave Sirens, excuse me, not Siren, but Siren. Ah, I'll take Siren. <laughs> I want to know Dave Siren's top six influential activists. And it doesn't have to be limited to athlete activism. It could be political activists. You mean in history? No, for you personally. For you personally. In history, though? Or in like history. Right now? In history. <sighs> top, top, top six most influential activists for Dave Zyron in history. And listen, this is subject to change tomorrow, but tomorrow's too late. We will not be recording. So you're on the spot right now. Top oh, six. Yeah. <laughs> history. I mean, maybe I'll stick to athletics just so I stay sane. If it helps. It, it does help. Uh, I'll go Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, Billy Jean King, uh, Paul Robeson and Muhammad Ali. I like it. I like it. Quick and easy. Lemon squeezy. I like it. <laughs> I, made, I made it easy. Did I stress you out? Did I, yeah. Did I stress you out a little bit with that one? Well, some might say I wimped out a little bit, but how can I do all time people, individuals, when there's so many stories I do not know? So Yeah, uh, but, but I, that's why it was tailored specifically to you, obviously. Oh, man, that you was know, tough. I'm gonna nobody can know it all. Yeah, nobody can know it all. But for you in particular, I, I know you have, I wanted to go outside. I didn't want to corner you in to having the only use athlete activist. I, I, I know you're, you're very, you're very well-rounded in regards to your knowledge of politics oh. and other things alike. So oh. I, I didn't want to box you in. I didn't want to corner you in. Um, so, so I definitely appreciate that. Last question. I asked all my guests this when they come on the podcast. When you wake up in the morning, because this is the Wake Up and Win podcast, when you wake up in the morning, is there anything that you do to set the table for you to go out and win the day? Yes, I put on a song. And the song, and that's what gets me in the shower, that's what gets me dressed. Now, the song that I've been listening to recently, it can, it can vary pretty dramatically, but the one I've been listening to um, recently is, and, and I'm very, I, I just, I can't stop listening to this, is called EPMD2 by Nas, EPMD, and Eminem. And is, that on his, is that on his new uh, new project? It's it's on the, uh, it, it, yeah. King's Disease? Is it King's Disease? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, it's It's so freaking good king's disease 2 is the two. album yeah that's the newest yeah that's that's the yeah. latest he recently and let me tell you something. king's disease 2 is a better album than any of the crap that yay or drake have put out i mean i like me, it i don't even understand why when people talk about all-time mcs why nas isn't in the discussion within 0.05 seconds i mean i mean my goodness the style has been bit by everyone and his style as my friend likes to say is son of none meaning it has no parent uh 
it and this song is so good. Eminem, it's the best rhyming he's ever done in his life on this wow. track. And to hear Nas to, from Nas to Eric and Parrish to M. It's just, it gets me so hyped in the morning that I feel like I can eat worlds. Yeah, you you know, it's interesting that you bring up sort of that top MC debate that people just can't stop having. And I actually got a song that I, I, I dabble in the music industry a little bit, so I won't say any names. I won't, you know, put anything out there, but there is a song that I have heard from an artist that acknowledges that debate that I think you will really, really like. And when it comes out, I will be sure to send it your way. That's all I'm gonna say. Wow. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say. When it releases, I've already heard the record. And it is a phenomenal record in terms of the top MC debate. And conceptually, it was great as well. And when you hear it, Dave, I, I, I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy it. You better send that my way. I will. I 100% I, I will. I'm man. so I intrigued, Devon. I can't. Yeah, I'm sure it. you are. <laughs> I will. As soon as it comes out, Edge of Sports, you're getting an email. But Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to join us again. I know you're very busy in these times. You recently, recently published a book and um, you just got a lot going on, man. Congratulations on publishing another book. I think that's important mm -hmm. to, to give you your flowers in that regard. Everybody mm -hmm. is you know, asking you all of these questions and, you know, want to know what, what's inside the mind of Dave Zyron. But sometimes it just feels good to be able to say, hey, man, pat, pat yourself on the back because uh, you did it. You published another book. And I think Thanks, that man. is always a milestone of an accomplishment when you're able to do so. Um, go ahead and promote yourself. Tell folks where they can find you, all the things. Well, you said it. I mean, folks should check out the Kaepernick effect and folks should uh, follow me on Twitter at Edge of Sports. If you have questions about anything we talked about on this particular show, hit me up. I'll keep the conversation going. I might shock you with that regard. So uh, <laughs> I hope I don't do it too much where people are like, uh, we're done with you. But if you have anything you want to talk about, just hit me up. Oh, good. And, and, and I can attest that it works. I hit him up. And here we are right now. Thanks again for joining, Dave. And on that note, we're going to leave you all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. Now, today what we're doing is, um, I think we're actually going to call this the On Wax segment. We've been doing these NBA predictions every year on this podcast. We usually do it the week prior to the NBA starting because we kind of like to get the predictions out there just before um, NBA tip-off night and teams obviously start playing games. But due to the John Gruden fuckery, <laughs> we did not do this last week. And it was definitely on the docket for us <laughs> to do. <laughs> you know, man, a lot happens really quickly these days. Yeah, it does. So, it does. So as you hear, Spencer Shea is here. What's up? I'm back, I'm back in the building. I'm going to make some crazy predictions. Back Let's in go. the building. But yeah, like I said, every year we've been doing these predictions, Spencer, and we yeah. always do them. Just before the first game of the season this mm -hmm. year, like I said, we get we just didn't get to it last week. It is what it is. I, I do want to preface this, though, and like I said, I'm going to call it the On Wax segment because this is the prediction and the segment that you can hold me accountable with because I've put it on wax. Right. It's, it's in the atmosphere. It's not just going on in my brain. It's not just happening in a phone conversation that yeah. I'm having with you or – 
whoever else that, you know, you all aren't privy to being able to listen to. So I'm putting it out there, and I want to say that my picks are not necessarily, well, maybe somewhat, but my picks aren't based on the games that we've already gotten to see. A lot of these, yeah. com- it's going to sound like gut. it. It's, I feel, for me, it's a lot of gut. I'm for, coming a lot from the hip here because yeah, but I for, feel like we didn't get to see a lot. and, I feel, and, and We know, haven't seen anything really yet. And, I, mean, and, I mean, usually we do do it before uh, the season starts, but I mean, right. let's face it, like outside of a couple of little, you know, uh, you know, exciting moments of the, the opening, uh, you know, couple of games, opening couple of nights. Yeah. So far I've been, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe not uh, as, uh, as predictable as I thought, as, as most people thought it would be. Yeah, yeah, well, it, it never was going to be that for me. Um, I, I've been telling people for a while, and again, that's why I don't want this to sound like I'm forming my opinion after what's been presented to us, which hasn't been much because the season just started this week. So I've had a lot of these sentiments prior to tip-off night, but because of some of the things that I may have gotten right in my head or I may have gotten right mm-hmm. in that phone conversation yeah. that I had with you, people are going to assume that I came up with these predictions after seeing these things actually come into fruition in and real that is time. Not true. We've been and it's it. still predictions. So my predictions won't fully come into fruition until the end of the year. But nonetheless, there were some things that I expected in game one in or date night one and night two and those things kind of happen and my predictions might sort of make you think that I came up with these predictions after already watching a couple of games this week and that's just not the case okay well where are we gonna what, what's your where are we gonna start are we gonna go NBA awards let's like, do NBA awards. NBA awards we'll do some NBA awards and we will Let's, go from that all the way up to let's start with MVP. Champions. Let's start. Nah, with MVP. I want to actually build up to MVP. Okay, all right. Let's start. Let's start with rookie of rookie the year. Rookie of the year. Okay, all right. I'm going Jalen Green. Yeah, I'm going to go Jalen Green too. I don't think there's really anybody else. When I when Kate I Kate Cunningham. Nah, I mean, you know, I, it it doesn't look like uh, anyone outside of Jalen Green is going to really get the shine that is necessary for that award. You know what I mean? Like you got to you got to have minutes to burn. Yeah, and you know, and so Houston, you know. He's going to get a lot of run down there. So. Well, Kate Cunningham, Cunningham's going to get a lot of run in Detroit as well. I'm still going Jalen Green. That's I, I, I'm going Jalen Green too. I think we're on the same. I think we're on yeah, the same page. I, I'm there, going so. Jalen Green. I think that, and that's again, the general consensus. And again, I, and again, even with the Jalen Green stance, I saw Jalen Green play against Cade Cunningham in summer league. Like that was something that basketball fans were tuned into when those two matched up in summer league. The Rockets won. Jalen Green won. Cade Cunningham got off to a solid start, but I think Jalen Green ended up having more success in regards to a complete game. Than Kate Cunningham did, and at that point was when I decided my my prediction is going to be that Jalen Green wins Rookie of the Year this year. It wasn't after any games this week. Plus, they got they got their asses handed to them against Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, that Anthony Edwards, he's nice. He's nice. He, he is yeah. the real deal. <laughs> yeah, he's the real deal. And you know, it's like it is. He just he really is like one of the best examples of like these young guys who just. Are fearless. Fearless. They don't. It's, they're not phased by the game, really, in the way that you know what I'm saying. Usually, they that you talk about these things like, yeah. Oh, can they live up to the moment, man? These these kids, man. They they are. They're They've already, been exposed to yeah, a lot, and and so a guy like uh, in a different kind of a way than maybe well, they're already younger you know, athletes a lot of these in cats the past. Are already so. famous before they even get to the league, really. True. You know, and True. so 
Yeah, like dealing with the pre- the pressures of society is just the norm now. Even prior to making it to the NBA. Yeah, and I mean, and obviously these ki- these kids can hoop too. So of course, <laughs> like <laughs> coupled with that, they're gonna find of a lot course. of success. So I, I'm I'm, there, I'm with you on Jalen Green. Jalen Green, defensive player of the year. I'm going Giannis. Yeah, I mean that's that's the obvious pick. You know, uh, is that who you had? I mean, I I I was gonna go conservatively Rudy Gobert just because it's you know, never a bad right way to there. go, and that's probably who I'll stick with. Um, but I mean, that's I mean, it's just it's gonna be the same thing with Giannis, man. Like, it, 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 when do you want to decide to give him the award or not? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, Every yeah, I year agree. He'll be eligible for the next foreseeable for the foreseeable future. So I agree. I'll go Rudy Gobert. I'll put it on wax, Rudy Gobert. But I mean, that's not a very exciting. You know, sexy pick either way, I don't think. I mean, he's got a chance every year. He's definitely uh, one of the greatest defenders of all time. So that's never a bad prediction. And plus, you know, Utah had a great year last year. So you expect them to come out and have a strong year again this year that will be able to help him in regards to contention for that award. What about that kid Matisse Teibel? He's pretty good. He is pretty good. He might he he's might pretty sneak good. in there, dude. I think he's it's Giannis good. though. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I'm going with Giannis. I'm and going and I was a, I'm a little bit hesitant sometimes to do that, especially because I feel like Giannis has alongside him the best on ball defender in basketball in Drew Holiday. Yeah. Yeah. So that would actually be a very could, sexy pick. Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday would year. be a sexy one, but the reason why I don't think he'll get it is because I think some way, somehow, Giannis's numbers are just too overwhelming. Be- obviously, when you think of like, because when you think of defense, you he's gonna block shots, he's gonna get steals, and he's gonna get a lot of defensive rebounds. And that's where I think Giannis kind of yeah. hurts Drew. Like he's if you know have, ball, if you know ball, and level. and obviously amongst his peers. You respect essentially what I'm saying in regards to Drew Holiday being like the toughest on-ball defender sure. that the NBA has to offer right now. But again, with Giannis's ability to just stuff the stat sheet, yeah. I think it makes it hard for Drew. Yeah, the Drew. numbers are going to— It's just—it makes it hard for Drew to be able to surpass Giannis in that regard, um, at, at least in terms of winning an award. But sure. um, I'm going Giannis, Defensive Player of the Year, most improved, and again— I talked to my guy, Chris Partee from Deadspin last week. Another phone call that you all aren't privy to. But just so you know that I'm keeping a solid timeline here. Chris Partee, before the season started, wrote a piece about the Golden State Warriors being a contender in Deadspin. And Chris Partee and I got on the phone about that particular piece. And I told him, I agreed with just about everything he had to say in the article, but that dude that's going to win most improved player of the year this year is Jordan Poole. Yes, sir. It's Jordan Poole. Book it. Book it. It's in the books. Book it. That kid's going to give you 20-plus this season, and it's going to be really something to watch. I like Golden State as a dark horse sleeper coming Rocket yeah. <laughs> number one with a bullet to the top of the West. I mean, they they got it like that. They're gonna be. They a might problem. got it like they that. might got it. Like okay. That. Well, from what I saw the other night, opening yes, night, yes, sir. Yeah, dude. 
and, don't want and, that. And here's the thing, like with, with Jordan Poole, the reason why I think he's gonna win most improved is like the Warriors brand of basketball obviously has already proven to be a successful one. They got the championships to support that. They've got numbers, historic record-breaking numbers to support that from players of the likes of Steph, players of the likes of Clay, obviously KD, so on and so forth. Um, mm. Like that brand of basketball it's, works. It's, it's, it is a great, it yeah. is a great brand of basketball. But what I think the Warriors have been missing since kind of they've scaled back from a talent standpoint, because obviously they've had a lot of youngsters. Kevin Durant leaves. Klay Thompson hasn't played in the last two years. Steph Curry was hurt pretty significantly, significantly a couple of years ago. I missed a, 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 a plethora of games. It's been a couple years since we've seen the talent level of Golden State be up to par to be a championship team. Yeah, like the but, surrounding roster being able to get to a level that, like, say, Steph is at. But not even Steph is at. I mean, Steph is in a – he's at a level of his own. I mean, Steph is just Steph. But my point in terms of Jordan Poole is that Jordan Poole makes it to where Steph isn't the only player that is essentially, like, unconscious when it comes to – his shot selection when it comes to putting pressure on defenses um, and, and when it comes to just making a play, regardless of the system. And that's where I think the Warriors have had a problem is, like, they've had a great system, but they've also had, like, really good playmakers, guys who, when you had to break away from the offense, you could trust the ball in Kevin Durant's hands. You can trust the ball in Klay Thompson's hands and – you're fine with whatever the results are because of how good and talented those players are. The Warriors haven't had that in a little while, and I think Jordan Poole is going to step up and sort of be that guy where he can break off of the play and break off of the system because it's going to have to happen. I mean, team scout, teams defend, teams know your sets, teams are going to get more and more familiar with you as the season progresses, and you've got to have guys who you could just say, here, take it and go. And we're going to live with the results of that because you're good enough, you're confident enough, you're skilled enough to just take it and go. And having another guy who can do that and put that kind of pressure on defenses when Steph needs a break is going to do wonders for that Warrior team. The dude put on like 10 to 12 pounds of muscle in the offseason. You can clearly see the transformation of his body. I mean, he's still young, but he at least looks like a man now. Yeah, he's getting there. <laughs> you know, for and the last couple of years, he looked like a, a kid that yeah. maybe has some talent. Talent, and once he fills out, he'll be pretty good. But nah, man, he went and transformed that body, and it showed in the first game of the year against the Lakers. Yeah, I think that's a pretty obvious choice too in Jordan Poole. I mean, I'm pretty, you know, it's it's booked, and and I, like I said, the leash that they gave him, letting him just fire like that was pretty. I mean, and just be able to build that confidence, I was stoked to watch. I mean, it's fun to see that brand of basketball working, and when yeah, it's it, good. You know what I mean? It's like good it's basketball. good for the league. If yeah. everyone's everyone's jacking up threes, and it's all good to jack up threes and, get, and and move the ball open shot. But if you're not hitting them, then obviously it's all for naught. But you know, you I think is in basketball we want to see that brand that Warriors brand of basketball. Yeah, it's fun. Play. It's so fun. It's so it's so fun. They're such a fun team. Let's see what do we got next here. Um, you want to go MVP? Uh, what about uh, six man? Six man, I'm going Trez. Okay, I'm going, I'm going Jordan. I'm going Jordan Clarkson. And Utah. two two yeah, guys yeah. who've done it before. Yeah, and not bad picks, but I'm gonna yeah. go with Trez. Okay, all right. 
I'm gonna go with Trez. I'm gonna go with Trez because because if they can have, I mean, if the Wizards can can turn it around, which this is kind of gonna go against something that I told Dave Zirin in the interview earlier. If the Wizards can turn it around, then Trez is gonna play a huge role in that. And I do think that they can turn it around, but I think there's another problem that lies ahead of them in the Eastern Conference that's going to have sort of that year where they step up and become a playoff team, and that's that damn LaMelo ball in the Charlotte Charles Hornets. Hornets. Woo! They're going to be fun to watch. If if nothing else, e- even if they don't have a lot of success this season, obviously they got off to a really poor start in the first half of that game against Indiana, and then LaMelo did what you kind of expect LaMelo is going to do throughout his career. I mean, the dude is a dynamite talent. We look at him as this second-year guy, but he's been a pro since he was 16, 17, yeah. since he was a high schooler. So him getting off to a fast start, in just his second year in the league and scoring 31 points comes as no surprise to me because he got a head start being able to be a professional baller before he ever graced the NBA. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that with like the development uh, or with the not the development league, but the Gatorade League, the NBA G League right. and the opportunities for these players to skip college and go play a year in the G League and sort of get that professional footing rather than having to play in just – such a systemic <laughs> entity of basketball that college basketball can truly be like you really are in a much more like systematic flow of the game where professionally it's a little bit more free flowing. You got five or six sets. You you call it a day. You got hoopers out there. You don't right. need to complicate or overcomplicate yeah. things. You just got to execute on what you know you do best. And that's how you have success in the NBA where college you can scheme up a lot more in college to be able to beat opponent to opponent where it's a little bit harder to scheme against NBA players because, you know, some stuff's just going to give because everybody in this league is that damn good. really good. Yeah, (laughs) they're all really good. And and being able to just continually play basketball – and get minutes by bouncing around from you know whether 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 it is professional teams, the G League, like everyone's coming in ready to play night in and night out, and anybody can get it. The East yeah. looks the East looks fun again, uh, you know. But but yeah. But as as far as I'm concerned, Devon MVP, it's Giannis's league, man. And and the and 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 that's that's where I'm at with that MVP. I can't see anything other than Giannis. I, I really can't. So here's my theory when it comes to the MVP, because I am one that has stated on this podcast. I am one who tweeted it on July twentieth, two thousand twenty-one, and I am somebody that referred back to that tweet on what was two days ago, October nineteenth. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in basketball. Best player on the on the planet. On today. the planet. He became that yeah. he became that on July 20th, 2021. Sure you got LeBron, sure you got Kevin Durant. You got guys who can compete for it and sure things can change year to year. I'm not one of those people that says it doesn't. But Giannis Antetokounmpo, I do believe, is the best player in basketball, which is why I think the Bucs are going to repeat. But for my MVP, I'm going with Steph. And I know that sounds Warriors heavy. 
I know that sounds <laughs> warrior heavy. No way. Here's dude. why. Here's why I'm going with Steph. And it's like, do you expect to see an MVP and a most improved player on the same team? Probably no. not. But if I am going to say that most improved player is going to go to Jordan Poole, I do believe the Warriors have to have a great year for that to happen. And if the Warriors have a great year, Steph's numbers are definitely going to be MVP numbers, bar none. Plus, the fact that the Warriors didn't make it to the playoffs last year, I think that's going to matter a lot if they can become and really be that top three seed in the Western Conference that a lot of people are saying they have a shot at being after what we saw on display on opening night. Again, opening night is not much of a sample size, but we all know the the we all know what the Warriors' history has been under Steve Kerr, and it's pretty damn successful. And what we saw on Tuesday resembled that. It resembled that a lot. So I feel like if Poole's going to win most improved player, they've got to have a great year. They've got to be like a top three seed in the West. And if they are a top three seed in the West, I don't see it going any other way than Steph Curry as MVP. His numbers are gonna. He's, I think that he, he's, he shot horribly in that yeah, first game, no doubt. and he still had a twenty point triple double. Exactly. And I see that, but his I'm numbers thinking, are going to be. But I'm crazy. just thinking he's going to be facilitator Steph, and and his numbers are not going to quite cap. I mean, Giannis is going to be averaging, you know, what 29, 12 and five. I mean, it's going to be bonkers. Yeah. I mean, and Joel. That's every year, though. But Joel Embiid's going to give you numbers, too. Like, I I just feel like Steph isn't going to be able to just off of sheer votes. I agree. But I think all all those guys play for teams that have been successful recently, where the Warriors haven't so much been successful recently. So if Steph can not only have the numbers to support him as an MVP just straight across the board amongst his peers, which I obviously think is very well possible, but the Warriors also have the biggest turnaround of the MVP candidates and the teams that they play for, I think that's going to feed into Steph getting votes. If the Warriors are a top three seed in the Western Conference, Steph's pretty much going to win that award. I can't see how Steph doesn't win that award if the Warriors play that great and end up seeding as a top three seed. You won't get Clay back until early 2022. And even when you get Clay back, like, we won't expect Clay to be back into some type of a rhythm. I'm not saying the greatest rhythm he's ever been in, but in some type of a rhythm, a, a more reliable rhythm, until like after the All-Star break. You want sure. Clay for that late season oh, yeah. push. The push, yeah. I think Steph's going to get MVP. I may be drinking right. the Kool-Aid. That's my no, guy. That's crazy. No, that's I, my guy, that's and I may bold... be drinking the Kool-Aid, but that's what I'm rocking with. You know, it, it, it's, it's surprising me for some reason, but it, it doesn't – if anyone could come and have a year like that, Steph could absolutely do it. And it would be cool to see him get another MVP. Absolutely. I think that would be tight. I don't necessarily want to see Giannis. I hate when guys dominate awards back to back to back. I, I just don't think that that – it's not like not, – not, not that I'm against it if it's if it's clearly deserved. Right. But it's just – and especially now, it's like there's so many guys that can play so well. It feels like at certain points awards are just given to dudes based on like a popularity contest and not necessarily what the numbers exactly, you know, yeah. come out to be. But – you know, well, but Giannis, uh, I do again. I do say Giannis is the best basketball player in the world. That's why 
my NBA finals, my NBA championship prediction is going to the Bucks. Yeah, me and too. I felt that way before the season started. Yep. Again, I didn't just feel that way because of what they did to the Nets. I understand it's a long season, but I'm also somebody that said back in July. And people said I was speaking too soon, but I don't know how you could speak too soon after you saw the performance that he put on, that 50-point closeout performance <laughs> in the NBA Finals. He's already won MVPs. He's already won Defensive Player of the Year. This is the last thing he needed to accomplish to be solidified as that dude, and he did it in the most dominant way. He's the best player in the world to me. And forget the optics. Sure, there may be better scorers, then Giannis Antetokounmpo, i.e. Kevin Durant. But Giannis is still going to average just as many points as Kevin Durant. It may not look as pretty. He might not do it on all three levels. He might get a lot of those points in the paint. He might not hit a whole bunch of threes. We hope he hits some free throws this year. We know KD's going to be able to do that. Like, optics-wise, yeah, KD's a better scorer. But for me, what it comes down to is when it comes to the two sides of the ball, which is the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball, Nobody in the league dominates both sides of the ball to the magnitude that Giannis Antetokounmpo does, and that's what makes him the best player in the world to me. It's not about him not having as polished of a skill in particular areas as some other players, but when you strip all of that aside and you get down to the nitty-gritty and who's dominating both sides of the ball, Nobody in the world does it to the oh, magnitude yeah. of Giannis. And that's why I think he's the best player in the world and why I do think the Bucs are going to repeat. Do you think the Bucs are going to repeat I, is the question. Yes, I do. And I'm pretty sure on this podcast, I mean, I, I don't. it was before last year sometime, I claimed that the Bucs were going to win the championship last year, and I didn't even feel very good about that pick going in, but it felt like it. Right now as it stands, I mean, it's an even stronger feeling. I can't even imagine – Anybody else holding the Larry O'Brien trophy outside of Giannis at the end of this year? I, just I, I, can, I won't go that far. I won't go that I mean, far. I, I won't go that far. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I won't go that far. We'll see. You know, we're all waiting on, uh, uh, you know, teams. Like, if KD does it, yeah. I can visualize that. If the Lakers do it, I don't think they're going to do it. I don't it. think they're going to do it. But if they do it, it's like, well, it's LeBron. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't like, think, I don't think Brooklyn Anthony as an organization Davis. has – what it takes overall to go and get one. I just don't. I think the the whole organization is too disjointed, even outside of the Kyrie thing. I don't think Steve Nash is necessarily the type of guy. I mean, you look at top to bottom in that organization compared to Milwaukee. I mean, they're getting dunked on literally and figuratively in every way, shape, and form. Yeah, but I just think that when you got James Harden and you got Kevin Durant, if they both get hot at the right time, there's, they're the best a, duo in the league the at that point. They're the best duo in the league at that point. And that's where I don't think they're as complete as the Bucks, which is obviously why I got the Bucks coming out of the East and winning it all. Yeah. But I've seen Kevin Durant hot, and I've seen yeah. James Harden hot. And I can assure you that if they're hot, there ain't too much you could do about it. And again, they took the Bucks pretty far last year. Now, do I think the Bucks are better this year? Absolutely. And I think a lot yeah. of that has more so to do with psyche after winning a championship. Like that matters, and we have to take that in consideration. But I can imagine other teams winning it. I just think the Bucks will get it done because I do think the Bucs are the best team in basketball and Giannis is the best player in basketball. But I ain't surprised if the Nets go and do it. I ain't surprised if 
the Lakers go do it. And if Clay comes back, 85% of the Clay Thompson that we've once known playing at his best, I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors came and did it either. But Clay has to come back and be the Clay Thompson we've all grown to love over the years and not just somebody coming back from an injury and you're just glad to see him out there. Like he's got to be an all-star I think caliber Clay, player. I think Clay's coming for scalps when he gets back into the. I, I do too. I yeah, think, I think that's coming. just who he is by nature. But I don't know. He hasn't played in two years. I don't know if physically his body is going to allow him to do that. And that's yeah. what the question is when it comes to Clay Thompson. What but, about uh, Coach of the Year? Do you have a Coach of the Year pick? Coach of the Year pick. I didn't even put. I didn't even put that on the list today. Oh. So I'll let you go for it, and then I'll... well, I'm, I. I mean, this is a homer pick, but I'm going Eme in Boston. In Boston? Yeah. Nah, I don't think if they could, if they could string some games together, first year coach getting forty. What do you think the target? Forty five. What Nate McMillan? Maybe Uh, Nate. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think it's going to be an Eastern Conference coach, regardless of how it shakes out. That's what. That's what it feels like. Yeah, Eastern Conference coach. Why? Why do you say that? Because the East is getting exciting right now, and a lot of teams are on a come up. New coaches, young team, you know, young players. Uh, you do, you couldn't even tell me. I bet you, you know, it, it would be incredibly hard to go what five through eight or four through eight in the East coming out this it's gonna year. It's going to be hard to predict. It's going to be it's going to be a dogfight the entire way through. It's going to look like a lot like the Western Conference. I, feel I think like. I'm going Monty Williams. Monty. That's a good pick. I think I'm going Monty Williams because I do think the Suns, even though they lost to the Nuggets, like anybody losing a joker on any given night, I'm not mad at. Especially that game meant a whole lot more to the Nuggets after being swept by the Suns last playoffs yeah, than it meant for the Suns, who just, you know, wants to get their grounding. And, and obviously, by making it to the NBA Finals, they're going to pace themselves in a different kind of way than last year where – they fed off a lot of that young, new energy and that excitement and that enthusiasm of these young dudes that had a chance to go far and actually got it done. I think now they kind of know what it takes to get there. And not getting over the hump and losing to Milwaukee sort of gives you a little bit more knowledge in terms of, okay, we know what it took to get there, but what was missing that we couldn't actually get the job done. And I think now they're going to figure out what that missing piece was, and they'll be right back near the top of the conference once again. And if they come out of the West, I wouldn't be surprised. Sure. Like, the Suns are are legitimate, I'd and I like think that to they're going to pace get, this year. I would like to see a rematch and like to see them get one more crack at me. I would love to see that. I would I love to see that. I think that would be that. a fantastic I would love series. to see that. I'd love it. Probably the best – outcome of a series. You know what I would also love? I would love to see them in the Warriors in the conference finals. Oh, that would be nice. Now, see that. I would like that series. That would be a good series. It would be a dog fight. Oh, man. A ball way out there. And you know what? If Clay's held, oh, man. If oh, Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I think the only way the Warriors get there is if Clay is healthy. Clay, you have to have Clay. I mean, I Draymond's think you've got to have play Clay. well, too, you know? Yeah, he's got to get a little bit more confidence. Yeah, he did offense. not play very well. 
I mean, I just think he hasn't played very well in the last I just few he's getting years. Old, bro. He's, yeah, he's like his offense old, is just Iggy, non-existent. I mean, Iggy, it's like it's nice to see you, bud, but it's like, man, you, you. Well, are, well, Iggy's gonna you help string you together some minutes, but it's like, well, you know. Iggy. I mean, I, I think Iggy is there to play a particular role. Like they got enough young bulls to where you still need some vets. Yeah. You still need some vets there, and Iggy is going to be able to play the role as one of those vets that can keep those young bulls in line and keep them sharp, especially when you have somebody like a Draymond who, again, is a great leader, but sometimes he gets a little bit too emotional, and you know, I don't know how that would impact some of these younger players as the season progresses. Like It's easy to play with an emotional Draymond when you're losing, but it's like... When it's time to really get, when it's time to get nitpicky, I could see where Draymond might lose a player or two, one of the young players or two, but Iggy will be able to kind of reel him in and be like, yo, it's all out of love. Yo, like, it's, you know what I mean? Like, don't take it personal. Like, this is what it takes to be a champion. And the young bulls will be able to just click right again. So I I want to see that. That's what I'm going to call. I'm going to call it right now Western Conference Finals matchup. Golden State versus the Phoenix Suns. That would be the shit. I'm seeing it right now. That would be the shit. I'm seeing it right now. <laughs> yeah, well, on that note, we'll leave y'all once again the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. <laughs>